Welcome to DocuTalks, a podcast about documentaries mostly from Netflix. Chelsea and Michelle may be from two different generations, but they both share a passion for talks of true crime, murder, and documentaries with flair. Join these chatty bitches while they dish the latest hot documentary on DocuTalks. Alright, right now we're walking with the squad trying to find food, like savages. We're walking on the side of the road, uh, trying to get to a grocery store. Some sustenance. Some sustenance, yeah. We'd need more eggs for me to make a signature dish. Frogs in a hole? Yeah, there's a lot of toast. Alright, guys. That's a clip I found on YouTube called Fire Festival Meltdown We Are Stranded by Crispy Shorts, documenting his experience at the Fire Festival, which we're talking about today. Welcome to DocuTalk. This week we're covering Fire, the documentary about the disastrous music festival. Um, so we don't really do a recap. We're mostly just talking about the documentary. So we recommend you watch it before listening to the podcast. But, you know, you're welcome to do either way. And just a warning, uh, we'll have adult content and we use explicit language. So I'm Michelle. And I'm Chelsea. So Chelsea, what have you been watching, listening or reading lately this week? Oh, so I actually have been reading a lot because of quarantine. So I've been catching up on all those novels on my to read list. Mm -hmm. And I just finished this amazing book. uh, And it was called God, Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silvia Moreno Garcia. And let me tell you, it's incredible. So she has created this rich recreation of Mexican folklore set in the jazz age. Mm. And she captured the essence of the story while giving it such a vibrant twist. And I couldn't put it down. I read it in like a whole day. She, everything she writes is fabulous. I've read a few of her books uh, actually on lockdown. So I highly recommend it. It came out last year and i Picked it up because it had such a beautiful cover. I'm a sucker for a pretty, pretty cover. Oh, I can relate to you there. I like a pretty <laughs> cover too. Oh, and it's it's stunning. It's just really, really beautiful. So for once, you know, the story inside was just as good as the cover art. <laughs> That's always a good surprise. Exactly. What about so, you, Michelle? Of course, I've been listening to podcasts. I'm addicted to podcasts. So I've been listening to Missing Richard Simmons. I don't know if you remember who this guy is or if you knew who he was because you're younger, but he was a very popular fitness diet guru, and he helped a lot of heavier people lose weight. He was so popular. So he did a lot of different things with videos, like he did um, sweat into the oldies. He had a diet system. He owned a gym. And then one day he just fell off the face of the earth. So the podcast is about what happened to him. So did you know who he was? Oh, yeah. I totally remember Richard Simmons. And he was like on Oprah and, you know, all the talk shows back in the day. And his, you know, classic Afro with his classic fitness gear. And you know what? I heard about this when I was living in Korea and like one night randomly, I think I stumbled upon some like dark web, (laughs) you know, when you're in the dark reaches of the internet and you, you're in these conspiracy theories and Uh it was about Richard Simmons. And I remember doing some research and really wondering what was going on. And then I kind of forgot about it. So I, I need to check out this podcast. 
Yeah, it was pretty good. It was interesting to hear all the different people and their relationship with him and the impact he had on their lives for good. Oh, yes. He did seem like he had this really great presence and, and had meaningful relationships with the people he was involved with. Did it? they find out what happened to him? Kind of. I don't want to give it away. Okay. Yeah. Exciting. Definitely going to have to listen now. Yeah. All right. So let's get into our documentary. So what did you think of this one? I was really excited to see the documentary because I remember hearing snatches of it in the news and on social media about how Fire Festival was going to be the next big festival. And then I heard it was an absolute shit show, but I didn't know the extent of what, how bad it was or why it was so bad. So when this documentary aired, I was really interested in finding out what went down. Uh, I think that the documentary sheds a lot of light on privilege, entitlement, and the power of social media and its influencers. So, yes, I I agree with you. I actually watched this documentary probably when it came out. It was quite a while ago I watched it, so I rewatched it for the podcast. And I do think it just shows how much people want to be part of that rich lifestyle. Even Billy wanted to be this rich man on campus, right? And he wanted mm. to feel like a big man. And just as much as he wanted to make money, he, I think it was more important that kind of status and his lifestyle look. And he wouldn't give up on this idea. Oh. Even when it was obvious it wasn't going to work. And I feel really bad for everyone that got sucked into working for him and buying tickets and how much money they lost. But he had a lot of people from his first venture with Magnesis that followed him to this fire festival, which was shocking to me, too. So it was it was good to see what happened. I'd heard of the fire festival, but not that much. And I I don't even know if I remember hearing about the fallout of it, to tell you the truth. Yeah, like I just remember, you know, seeing the infamous cheese sandwich. And honestly, guys, I was like, you know what? <laughs> you are such an entitled bunch of people going to these festivals that at the end of the day that cheese sandwich isn't terrible and it would be a vegan option at a lot of places so what were you (laughs) expecting oh boy here we go Chelsea with no (laughs) sympathy again I have no sympathy for entitled vegans (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness all these spoiled rich kids well well let's start with talking about the main character Billy This is, in my opinion, a professional schemer wannabe. Um, Like I said, he had the scam before with his Magnesis credit card for millennials. Um, At first, I was wondering, how was he making money with this credit card? But then it was from the fees from the card. So he collected $2 million. But when it came to the perks, such as the private events, they weren't really there. They'd get canceled. So how do you think he got away with this? It's just really amazing that success that he had. And, you know, like we were saying, those people who buy into that and that think that they deserve those kinds of perks. So I'm not surprised that Billy was successful with that. I read in the New York Times article that it wasn't until they started expanding into those events that the wheels started falling off and that that's when things got canceled. Whereas before, when they were just having their little clubhouse taster events, they were quite successful and everything was going really well. I'm not shocked. Um, And I'm wondering too, if a lot of those people that, you know, got scammed, they, they obviously are quite wealthy. So maybe for them, 
missing out on those perks and like losing that money you know oh my concert was canceled I lost $500 like that might not be a lot of money to them see I wouldn't know because I don't have $500 to spend on a concert to begin with so I would have no idea what those kind of people are like me either like are you kidding me I have a $65 concert coming up and I'm like still waiting on the fence to find out if it's gonna get canceled because of COVID-19 and I'm wanting my money back and that's just a $65 general admin ticket so I think he just really got away with it because he was hitting the right market you know you aim big and you take a little bit of money from a bunch of rich people they're not going to notice until it happens multiple times I think Mm. you know and if you hit enough of them yeah. yeah who knows maybe their parents paid for those credit cards anyway well exactly that's how Billy and Ja Rule actually met, is through Magnesis, mm-hmm. because he had booked him for a gig, and he did lots of private concerts. I thought Ja Rule was part, like, owner or investor in that credit card scheme. So I think what happened is, is he got booked to do some gigs, and then he found out what it was for, and then... I think that's how he, like, got into into it. I don't think he started from the beginning. Okay. I just knew he was around during that yeah. time and then with the fire app. No. And that's it. It's like, cause the whole story with why they started the fire booking app is because Billy was trying desperately to book job rule for an event and it took oh, him right. ages to get a hold of him. And like, you know, he had to pay all this money, but then, so obviously John met Billy and fell in love because he's this charismatic guy yes. you know, and bought all of his Ponzi schemes. So yes. that's kind of how we got to where we got with Ja and Billy being these front runners for for the fire booking app, which seemed like an incredibly intelligent and potentially successful business venture. Yep. And he should have stuck with the app. Like you said, that was a really good idea was the app. And he likely would have made money by just doing that. But of course, he couldn't stop himself. This guy's mm-hmm. out of control. He decided he's got to put on a festival to promote the app and that's where it all got out of control and I think what's interesting is this guy is just an idea guy he doesn't really do much else other than ideas and I guess he must have some money to start these things up but he really hires everybody to do everything like he hired all the engineers and designers for this app it wasn't like he was doing it he was just funding it which I don't even know how well he was funding it no and a lot of the times you know we need those idea guys we do. Yes. Like, I, so I totally understand how valuable he can be, but it, that's exactly it. Is. He should have saw what he was. He's an idea guy. He could have gotten paid tons of money to just be a company's idea guy. I don't know why he didn't stick in his wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> and like you said, the marketing is what sucked everybody into this mm-hmm. festival. And I think one big takeaway from this is just the power of social media and selling a lifestyle and it was all over social media. They And again, this was his sort of idea, but they hired a manager for their social media of, of the Fire app, plus a media production company. So maybe we need to hire one of these companies. How much do they cost? Because then maybe we'd have more than 10 followers. Yeah, we could get a GoFundMe account and <laughs> hire someone. <laughs> Exactly. I don't even think we can get all our friends and family to listen to us. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, ma'am. 
But so, yeah, so he did hire this new up-and-coming company, and, like, they created this incredible promotional video and didn't really even talk about what they were promoting. You know, it was just, they kept it ambiguous, and which is great. The fire orange tile was revolutionary. Yeah. That was revolutionary. It was brilliant. And so many ad campaigns have, you know, piggybacked off that um, for launches. So you know what? It was brilliant. It worked so well. It does really tie into that whole power of celebrity. And the buzz had hit before the promo shoot even ended because, of course, those girls were live Instagramming. They were getting paid heaps of money. Kendall Jenner got paid $250,000 just for one post. One of the best things to come out of Firefest and the clusterfuck that it was is that social media influencers and celebrities now have to disclose whether or not their post is an ad because. They are selling this fake shit on the internet and this fake lifestyle, and they're getting paid heaps of money to do it, and they're sucking in all these impressionable people who are dying to be like them. So she got sued, and she had to repay between ninety and $127,000 of the promotional money she got from Fire Festival. So I thought that was quite interesting. So that's now why you see on posts, like it'll have ad, like this is a sponsored ad and it's an actual Instagram and Twitter based thing that, and they have to disclose that. Oh, I don't watch any of the Jenners. I have no real use for these Kardashian girls. I don't really get them. So I don't really follow any Instagram influencers other than my kitty cats that I like, like little Bob or, you know, Taco Cat and cats of Instagram. My Instagram's a lot of cats and animals. So they're not really promoting anything. So I, I haven't actually seen that it says sponsored ad, but you've definitely seen that. Well, yeah, and, like, I don't follow these people either. I, you know, I, I honestly can't stand social media influencers. I think they're disgusting. That's the new job, right? It used to be, oh, I'm a model. Now it's I'm a social influencer. And I must tell you, when I watched this documentary and heard that Kendall Jenner got paid $250,000 just to post one post, mm -hmm. I almost fell off my chair. Yeah, it's shocking and it's disgusting. So I was very happy when I heard she got sued. But no, so I follow a few, like I follow a lot of um, dog rescue places that run off of charitable events. And sometimes mm -hmm. they get they get to do sponsored ads. So even like my little old vintage dog rescue place has a few little sponsored ads because, you oh. know, they get sponsored. So it's really cute. But it is one of those things like unless you do a deep dive into social media or your um you know, more into it, then you wouldn't know that. And I honestly do try and avoid it because I think it's gross. And I'm really hoping COVID-19 wipes these fuckers out. Let's, well, I don't mean like that COVID-19 kills them. I just hope it kills <laughs> the business. Because, yeah, because no one can afford to be giving you free shit to sling on Instagram with our current economy. So I'm really hoping that this revolutionizes this whole influencer bonanza. Yeah. And I mean, it's amazing how much they were able to profit from that because basically yeah. when they launched, they sold out 95% in 48 hours. Exactly. And it's funny because they actually said 
maybe if they hadn't blown most of their budget on, you know, having all those influencers. Well, they spent a lot of money on that, right? Because they had those mm-hmm. models for the weekend, like 10 of the world top models. I can't even imagine yeah. how much that costs them. It's not like you booked them for an afternoon, right? You booked them exactly. for a couple of days. So that must have cost a fortune. And then it said they had about 250 influencers post. And apparently, later on the documentary, they talked about how they were giving these influencers a free weekend along with that post, which Billy was, of course, trying to take away at the end because he wanted people to come pay. Influencers shouldn't get that much free stuff. That's a really expensive venue. And this is what I mean about that whole idea of entitlement. You do not deserve this much free stuff. Like, yes, you posted a tile or you posted some stuff on Instagram. That doesn't mean you should get like a $5,000 free weekend for you and 10 of your friends. Yeah. We need to draw the line somewhere, you know, yeah. this can't continue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so the island, Michelle, oh my oh, gosh. Yeah. So yeah, you were saying it sold out 95% of the tickets in 48 hours, which is unheard of. I think mm-hmm. only Coachella sells out like that. So we, they had about 10,000 people planning to attend the festival. Yep. How are they going to put those people on an island with no infrastructure? Exactly. And it's not like Billy worried about that because Billy is the idea person. He's not the one that figures out the logistics of all this. Well, and it's hilarious because I didn't even think about that while I was watching the documentary. And we're looking at, you know, Norman's Key. It's stunning. It's beautiful. And, you know, you see an aerial shot. There's fuck all on that island. Mm -hmm. And you don't think about that, right? Like, yeah, it looks beautiful, but when you start thinking about, okay, where are the toilets where for 10,000 people? Yeah. Yeah. So they said that they bought the island. That was, you know, Billy's big claim to fame because it had that um, leasing scheme where, you know, you put a mill down and you have to pay the rest for, like, ever. But in reality, the money never got there. So mm-hmm. it was never paid. And the owner was adamant that they not link it to Pablo Escobar. But... You know, Billy, he kept using it and he got a kick out of it. When I first watched the documentary, I thought, okay, if they hadn't gotten kicked off of Norman's Key, maybe this could have happened. Yeah. What do you you think? No, I don't think so. I think Billy didn't know what he was doing. I think there wasn't enough time to plan the festival because I remember somebody said normally you would start planning a festival like a year away yeah. and he was planning it in what three to four months or something like that six weeks out and they hadn't even done anything exactly and I think you know going back to the fact that he wasn't supposed to say this was Pablo Escobar's island I think that just shows how arrogant Billy is mm-hmm. that he did it anyway because he thinks he can do whatever he wants and so screw them. I'm going to mention it. What are they going to do? Well, they did do something. So Yeah, they kicked you the fuck off. Not that he would learn anything from that anyway. No. And I was thinking about it, and I'm just like, God, if Fire Festival would have been an even hotter of a mess if it had have been on Norman's Key. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I think it would have been, it would have been like Lord of the Flies. <laughs> yes. Because the thing is, with the other island, they got Great, great Exuma, I believe, right? Yeah. They already had some infrastructure and they had people on there that they could hire to help mm-hmm. set up that deserted part of the island with their crazy hurricane tents. So at least they had some infrastructure, but even still, they couldn't pull it off. Right. Well, it's so funny because at first I'm just like, oh, this looks great. It'll be fine. And then, you know, I'm watching it with Evan and he's like, 
Chelsea, you idiot. Like, really? Come on. <laughs> what justice? Doesn't matter what he thinks, because according to the last podcast, he was getting kicked out after COVID's done anyway. Oh, yeah. He was packing his bags last time I saw him in the kitchen. <laughs> there you go. And that, what's crazy, too, is, you know, they talked a lot about everything they needed to get set up for this. But as they were getting closer to the deadline, everybody kept telling them you need to get the word out that you're not going to be able to deliver what you promise. And, of course, he doesn't want to hear that. He only wants to hear solutions. He doesn't want to hear the problems. I've worked under management that's done that. And yeah. I, nothing pisses me off more than someone who's like, we need a positive solution-based work environment. And I'm just like, fuck the fuck off with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, sometimes you can't spin it positively. You need to be honest and truthful. And if he had have just owned what was happening, maybe he wouldn't have gotten sued. Or he should have canceled it when he figured out it was not going to work. I don't know why someone else just didn't cancel it, you know, just be like, like start a rumor on social media that it was canceled. I don't know. I think, I mean, he was in charge. I guess he was the one who would have had to cancel it. It was really upsetting. Some of these people were quite big, heavy hitters in the industry and they knew their shit. They knew what they were talking about. And Billy and his arrogance and, and just the fact that like, if you had have told these people, okay, guys, you're going to be, everyone's going to be intense. We don't have villas. Like, I don't know. I'm pretty flexible. If you let me know, yes, I'm going to be disappointed when I get there. And it may have not have been exactly what I wanted. But if you flat out lie to me, like, or, you know, we've all been scammed on like when we're traveling abroad and we book our hotels and they use yeah. fake pictures. Like how many times have you been scammed, Michelle? Yeah. Yeah. That's that crazy. all happens. Oh, this doesn't look as nice as the picture. You know, like, I'd rather them just been honest than scam me. Yeah. But at the same time, these people were quite entitled themselves. So maybe they wouldn't have gone if they knew they were sleeping in a tent. Because some of those <laughs> some of those guests made it seem like the worst thing in the world to have to sleep in a fucking tent. <laughs> oh, my boy. gosh. But, yeah, so it's amazing that Billy, he's not that old. He's only, like, 25. No. And in his short career, he seems to have persuaded all these people to be investors, like really big influential influential people to be involved, to invest yes. in whatever he was selling. And he was leaving behind a trail of aggrieved customers and business partners, but yet he still managed to keep blazing on. Yes. How? How? I have no idea. I think it might have to do with all those fraudulent... Um, the fraudulent financial statements he was providing, which really explains why the FBI got involved. I didn't realize how many frauds he had done during this. There was wire fraud. There was mail yeah. fraud. There was financial fraud. Like, so yeah. obviously you're going to, if you look appealing because you're lying about everything, investors are going to come. I feel like the investors just invested based on his charisma and ability to sound good that they didn't really look into things I, I don't know why would they like you do a quick check at the company worth okay yeah it says that you're worth 21.6 million in revenue that's great you have this incredible idea seems like everything's going and you know RuPaul always says if you've got that charisma uniqueness and talent anyone will buy what you say Exactly. Like, she's right. Yeah, yeah. The thing was, this 
music festival was costing a fortune. And then at one point they said it was costing fortune. 25 million, but then an event organizer quoted like 38 million. So not sure what it did cost in the end, but oh. it was millions and millions of dollars. So he had to come up with new ways to scam people. And that's why he came up with this wireless band thing, which was just crazy and I thought it was interesting the one guy's like I spent all this money on the ticket now you're telling me I got to upload all this money onto this band thing some people put eight hundred thousand dollars on their bands you're you're attracting an elite clientele what kind of person has eight hundred thousand dollars to spend okay what I want to know how <laughs> How long was this festival for that you need $800,000 on your band? Well, exactly. Like, are you buying prostitutes? Are you buying a Maserati? Like, what is going on? So the festival is only supposed to be three to five days. Like, originally the festival was supposed to be two to three days. And then it, like, expanded to three to five days, which is kind of crazy. And if food was included... Yeah, I couldn't figure out if the food was actually included or not. Sort of had the impression the food was included because that lady said how she was out $50,000, the Mm -hmm. one that had the beachside restaurant. So was she supposed to be supplying food to people? And so she dipped into her own pocket to pay for it, assuming she was getting the money back. So I couldn't quite figure all that part out. I looked up what happened with her, and she, it cost her $123,000 just to feed and prepare the food that she had prepared for the beginning of the festival. And the 50000 that she paid out was for wages to other Bahamians that she had employed to help her. And so she's lost all this money, like has never gotten anything back from Billy. So she... I feel exactly I feel it's tragic but that's exactly it so we all know at festivals food and drinks usually are the most expensive so if food and drink are included then what the fuck are you spending eight hundred thousand dollars on I don't know I don't know and I just I don't understand like if Billy really wanted to make this the creme of the creme like why didn't he just make it for you know like two to three thousand people and then you could have had the truly elite you know And why did you have to have it on this island? Well, that was a really good idea. I would have gone. Well, it's a good idea, but you didn't have to have it there considering nothing was set up for it. It would have been amazing if he had just gotten his shit together and actually planned a festival properly. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? So I want to talk a bit about Andy King. Oh, Andy. I loved Andy. (laughs) He was great. So this guy's known Billy for years. And he was involved with him when he was organizing some events for the Magnesis credit card. He was basically the troubleshooter for all this. So Billy asked him to go give the custom agent a blowjob to clear the water for the festival. And he was going to do it. I know. I was like, yes, Andy, you're taking one for the team. Oh, my gosh. I was like, this is dedication to this guy. Oh, yeah. And, like, I love it. He's like, I went home. I took a shower, drank some mouthwash. I was on the road. And he's like, you know, I just, you have to do what you have to do. (laughs) 
I, oh, and I actually felt bad for him, too, oh, because he didn't have to give the blowjob. But he sort of promised the customs guy the money was going to come. So he was smoothing things over for Billy and promising everybody this money was going to come. And, and, and it never did. Yeah, I thought he was such a sweetheart. He seemed so lovely. And um, what he was saying in the documentary and the way he was portraying Billy, like the stories he was sharing, is what kept me second guessing that Billy was such a, a fraudster. And it really it made me want to be more compassionate towards Billy. But at the same time, I'm just like, how is this still happening? But then I was like, okay, if Andy's in his corner, maybe he's going to, there's something going to be redeeming about him, but it just never played out that way. Didn't happen. Yeah. I don't know. So then we get to the festival and everybody's excited about going Kind of their first clue that things aren't quite right is there is no private jet that they were promised as part of their ticket. And then they get sent to that restaurant and not the actual site. And then they get to the campsite and there's absolutely no organization. It is a total disaster. I am very curious how you think you would have coped in that situation, Chelsea, because I will tell you right now, I would have lost it. I would have just had a a total breakdown in the middle of the whole thing. Well, first of all, I've never flown private, so I don't think it would have. <laughs> so you would have coped with not having the private jet. Yeah, I don't think it would have been as much of a culture shock for me as those poor entitled rich kids that were crying about it on the documentary. Let me tell you, listeners, I once flew from Kuala Lumpur to Hawaii, which is a 14-hour flight on an airline that didn't serve water or food for 14 straight hours. Just saying, guys, I've done some shit, okay? (laughs) I have to say, after all my crazy-ass experiences while I was backpacking, Michelle knows. She knows how how crazy some of them have been. Uh, I probably wouldn't have been too phased by it. I don't think it would have bothered me to the extent, you know, like, the type of people who are going, how much it bothered them. Like, the redheaded guy, um, so he kept complaining about not knowing anything. Even before he he left, he didn't know where he was going. But yet he still went. And this is the problem. is like, you people put yourself in that situation. You knew you had no confirmation of any of this. Like, if I was going to still go on a trip and not have any confirmation of any of these things, are you still going to go? But like, if you still go knowing that none of this stuff has been confirmed... You have to be prepared for worst case scenario. And I do realize my worst case scenario is is way worse than any of these rich kids could probably ever imagine. Maybe. But I don't think it's that nothing was confirmed. They know what they paid for. They know what they've been promised. You know, you're paying for some private villa somewhere and you get there and there's a hurricane tent with mud floor and wet mattresses in it. No, and that's true. But at the same time, he kept saying like, he. I had no idea where I was going. I had no idea what was happening. And I'm just like, why the fuck are you allowed to leave your house if you are so out of the loop? (laughs) But he didn't know what was happening while he was there. Yes. But he also didn't know what was happening when he 
before he got before he left either. He said he was still on his way and he still didn't know where he was going, really. Well, they probably didn't know where this island was because, well, some people aren't good with their geography. That's all I'll say. Exactly. And I have to say the fact that they just used a big Boeing 747. I thought that was brilliant. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really great idea because in reality, flying all those private jets, like that would have taken them days to get all those people over. They wouldn't have had enough private jets. And also the school buses. Good, good ideas, guys. I thought this was brilliant. I'm sure those were Andy's ideas. Could you imagine how long it would have taken to get all those people, 10,000 people over by private jet? Potentially. Well, then they shouldn't have promised a private jet. I know. It kind of was a private jet. <laughs> <laughs> it was fair. just a really big one. Like That's right. Good point. You know? Good point. And I loved, like, after the first day, with only one third of the guests there, they were still trying to manage this. They were still trying to save things on social media um, trying to delete comments. They changed like the management company for the social media on that day because the company was like, no, we're not going to lie to people. Mm-hmm. And Andy said, Billy didn't get it until the first day that this was just not going to work. Even up until the last minute, he still wouldn't cancel. He somehow thought this was going to be pulled off. It was only once everybody got there that he realized it. I know. It was really crazy what was going on. They had lost their caterer last minute. They lost their yep. social media last minute. Like, that's shocking. Yeah. But also not shocking because it was a shit show. Like, he had no idea what he was doing and what it takes to do something like that. And it's Billy. Oh, it's Billy. Exactly. And I loved how Andy had to escape off the island. Oh, it was yeah. insane. I felt like, bad. I- yeah, and it wasn't just Billy that had to escape. Like you heard some yeah. crazy stories, like all like how it how it just snowballed all of a sudden, and like people were having to get smuggled off the island, and they were worried they were going to get attacked yeah. by locals. And I just wow, like the yeah. hiding and, the urinal story. Yeah, and I think they just felt so guilty. All the staff that were involved with this, not that it's really their fault. It sounds like so many of them were trying to talk to Billy to say this wasn't going to work and this was an issue and we need to do something here. And he just wouldn't listen. Their fees weren't going to get paid until the festival started or was over. Right. So they only got 20 or 30 percent down payment and wouldn't get the rest till after. So unfortunately, they were kind of stuck seeing it out to the end so that they could get paid. And I can see why a lot of these people would want to kind of do a last ditch like just let's see what we can do because you never know sometimes things come together last minute and imagine if you had have pulled out and then it turns out that Firefest went off became one of the biggest things and you missed that train I can see why a lot of people stuck with it for as long as possible but he does get a lawsuit against him for fraud he gets more than one lawsuit (laughs) yeah Yeah, he gets more than one. He does get charges. Um, And at one point, he moved back into his parents' house. But then he has people come over to his penthouse suite to start his new scam. Yeah, I thought that was hysterical. I think, really, he never moved back in with his parents. And that was just like a publicity stunt to show he was cowed from his his experiences. Because he had been arrested and he was out on bail. And that's when they said he had moved back in with his parents. But mm-hmm. in reality, he was living in a fucking 
thousand square foot penthouse with a wraparound deck. Yeah. So who was paying for that? I really wonder. So even though he's out on bail, he's still managing to run more high level scams. So basically, he started cooking up this NYC VIP access using Frank Angelo as a cover. I was trying to find more details about this. I was trying to do some research, and it's really shady. Frank never releases any details and says that his investors and his backers are kept private because of publicity issues. They don't want their identities being released. And it's also Mm -hmm. another one of those, you know, rich kids comes from a family that obviously has money, and then he's now creating his own business, it right away started targeting a lot of the Fire Island mailing list, and Mm -hmm. it wasn't too hard to figure out who was behind it all. And then thanks to some really crafty reporting by Vice News, Billy was quickly picked back up by the police and rearrested. Like, what fucking balls that man has. Yes. I was just floored that he is out on bail. And he is turning his next trick as soon as he could. And never once did he think he was going to jail. No, he is so high on himself. I I just can't believe what this guy gets away with. Yeah. And so also, I think the Magnesis stuff was kind of going on at the same time as the Fire Festival because they were using. So that's when those like really fraudulent tickets sales were going because they were using that money to fund Firefest. It's crazy to think that those two were still going on at the same time. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought that the credit yeah. card had stopped before Fire Festival. No, that's why he started amping up those promotions and they started falling through. And then they realized Billy's using the money that he's getting from one venture to fund another venture. And a few people at the end, it kind of comes out like people start revealing how much money they lost like personal mm-hmm. credit cards that were racked up because of Billy. There were people saying from Magnesis that it was still going on at the same time. A few people said that Billy used their personal credit cards and spent upwards of $200,000 to put towards either Magnesis or towards Fire Festival. Yes, I remember hearing that in the documentary. Yeah. Yeah, it was at the very end. And so that now the credit card companies are coming after them. But yeah. it's like, why would you guys let Billy use your credit card? Why would you let anyone use your credit I, card? Again, I thought that was weird. Like, if this guy's rich and he's got money, why are you putting stuff on your credit card? There should be a company credit card that you can access. You shouldn't be using your personal credit card. Well, And it just goes to show that this really wasn't a true company, because that's exactly it. Like, if it was a true accredited company, it would have company credit cards. And it just goes to show that there were so many holes and that this was basically just held together by like Red Bull and and some bubble gum. (laughs) Well, it was like, oh my gosh, I just can't get over how many documentaries we have watched these people who cook up these fucking fancy ass ideas, con all these people into getting Mm -hmm. on board and then get away with it. You know, like it's just amazing to me how similar a lot of these documentaries are similar theme. People aren't learning. Well, it's just being sucked in by these charismatic people and believing everything they say. If you're cautious and you don't always believe these really charismatic people and you're not one to um, quickly jump on their bandwagon, anytime people try to protect themselves, will we make them look bad? Well, what was interesting to me was Andy said in the documentary that 
he hoped Billy didn't end up going to jail. I don't understand right? why. He still seemed really in love with Billy. Yes. And I want to know what was going on with that. Like, Andy, why? That's what I couldn't understand. Like, you were front line realizing that this guy was not going to pull off this festival, that he mm-hmm. really was scamming people. But somehow you believe he maybe wasn't that. Did you just think he got over his head and he didn't mean to be like this? Well, and he even talks about the fact that, like, after every single meeting, he would go outside and cry. And and never in his career had he ever, like, ever been in a situation where it was that stressful. And he knew that Billy was just shitting the bed and also treating people really poorly. So if you have that kind of emotional response and you see the way Billy's treating people, then, yeah, why are you protecting him? And uh, it just makes me wonder, like, oh, are you going to start another venture with Billy? Like... Yeah, probably. He somehow thinks this is a brilliant kid. We see so many Billies. They lead cults. (laughs) They become sociopathic business leaders and actually Mm -hmm. get somewhere in in life. And, you know, then they or they become murderers. (laughs) Yeah. There's lots of Billies in the world. Yeah. Now, he's not allowed to have any business ventures like for 30 years, I think. So he's not allowed to be involved. I think he has a lifetime ban, but don't quote me on that scenes after he was rearrested that they're putting some preventative measures in place. Well, I hope so. I worry that he somehow will have somebody else front his ideas for him and somehow make money on the back end, kind of like he did with that NYC VIP access stuff. And hopefully, like, this documentary kind of gets his name out there. So unless he's changing his name, people will be weary. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so that was that was the Firefest documentary, guys. <laughs> yeah, any final thoughts on it, Chelsea? Oh, you know, I just thought it was crazy. I can't believe like the FBI got involved and like they were investigating everyone and still to this day people haven't gotten their money and like uh I heard that Blink-182 lost all of their um they lost all of their equipment because it got locked in with the with um all of the custom stuff so because billy owed so much money to the customs in the exumas they wouldn't release anything and so lots of stuff i assume since they canceled that they didn't send anything over there no they had already sent their stuff and then it got tied up in the customs and like they're like they still owe customs three hundred thousand dollars you know like it's just crazy. So hopefully, and apparently quite a few, um, quite a few concert attendees got together and sued and they sued, they won the case and they were awarded five million in reparations. But, you know, of course, they haven't been able to collect it. And yeah. we've learned from Michelle's crafty, crafty research why it doesn't make sense sometimes to really sue people for money because you're never going to get it. <laughs> Yeah, that's the problem. You can sue them and get the judgment, but good luck getting the money is the problem. And I just love that these people thought they deserved $5 million for getting ripped off at a concert. (laughs) (laughs) They're so cute. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And it was probably a concert that they didn't even pay for with their own money. So (laughs) don't even go there. They make $5 million a year. Like, fuck off. Well, because they got their four or no eight hundred thousand dollars to put on their wristband, so yes, 
<laughs> All right. Um, I just thought it's a good cautionary tale yes. to think twice about what you see on social media before you go running off and purchasing anything or going with anything and realizing that everything isn't what it seems to be. Because I think there's a lot of that kind of scamming now with social media, different Mm -hmm. products you see being sold or different things they're trying to get you to pay for that aren't really real. Yeah. And also just like, do you really think these people are living those lifestyles? Like, do you think we're going to tell you the truth about what's really going on in our life on social media, guys? Get over yourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do, because I don't really have anything. Well, <laughs> I mean, celebrities, <laughs> celebrities, not you with your Catterdays over there. Day is popular. I know. <laughs> you and your, have a happy Monday. Yes. <laughs> of the week on social media. People like that. It brightens their all day. Followers. <laughs> what was that? I said all five of your followers. Yes, exactly. Not really you portraying yourself in a false light on social media here, Michelle. (laughs) But no, you you are correct. And I do have plenty of friends that have gotten sucked into that and like feeling like they can either become the next social media influencer or that they need to portray themselves in the best light possible and have this amazing life. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) all right well thank you everybody for listening and as usual if you like the podcast if you like the podcast please subscribe and leave us a review and share with your friends you can also find us on instagram at docu underscore talk and on twitter at docu underscore talk and our email is docu.talk2 at gmail.com and i'll put that in the uh, notes Well, thank you for listening. And next week, our documentary is going to be Secret Love, again on Netflix. So please take a watch of that documentary and tune in next week where we'll discuss our thoughts about that. Yeah, And remember, just let us know if there's any documentaries we must watch and review on our podcast. Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much, Chelsea. Thank you, Michelle. Bye, Bye, everybody. everybody.